Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. On today's podcast, Behind the Warrior, we have our special guest, Dr. Gregory Brown, who works for the SHARE Military Initiative Center located in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me today. So, Dr. Brown, I'm just going to lead into some, you know, questions for you. And if you can just, you can tell us a little bit about your your background and how you got to be to um, work with the SHARE Military Initiative. Sure. So I have a history with uh, Shepherd Center. I was actually completed a two-year um, neuropsychology fellowship here at Shepherd Center. Uh, my specialty is um, brain injury. Um, and once I completed my um, fellowship here, I went to work for um, the Department of Defense for the Army at Madigan Army Medical Center up in Washington, where I worked with active duty military um, service members. Um working with the uh, Intrepid Spirit Program, uh, which is a program uh, for active duty service members um, with mild to moderate TBI and some other comorbid issues. Um, worked there for a year. I also have a history. I, I did my internship in the um, at the Central Arkansas VA. Um, I did some practicum training throughout graduate school um, in the VA system. Um, because I have a passion for working with um, veterans and our active duty service members. Um, and given my history here with Shepherd Center, this position came available, uh, and I received a phone call from um, a previous supervisor when I was a fellow here asking if I would be uh, interested in the position, and um, here I am. Well, that's fantastic. Um, I know that Mike and I both are familiar with the Intrepid Center. When I was uh, over at the Air Force, worked a lot getting uh, folks that had TBI and PTS over to NICO, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I have heard of the Intrepid, Intrepid Center. Um, also did visit San Antonio down there at uh, former BAMSI and saw that uh, the Intrepid Center for amputees, the work that they were doing down there. Uh, but yes, very very familiar with a lot of these programs. Yeah, and we're we're excited to have you know, share military initiative in our in our you know just resource resources as well because as you know this career field has an enormous amount of traumatic brain injury cases and and post traumatic stress so we we really look for other solid programs to send our folks to. So we're, we're very grateful. And um, leading into that, how did you become a neuropsychologist? I think I, you might have given me a, well, I think you gave me quite a bit in that first answer, but um, what, apart from just your interest in, in brain health and that sort of thing, was there anything else that sparked your interest as becoming a neuropsychologist? Um, sure. So my my, uh, this is actually my second career path. Um, originally, I was a paramedic for 12 years um, and, you know, working with um, traumatic injuries of all sorts and, and medical injuries. And then I relocated. Um, I'm originally from Northeast Georgia. I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia um, and initially and started working with a psychiatrist uh, who was doing some uh, pharmaceutical research in her practice. 
Um, and then in working with her, um, you know, I, I just really felt like I wanted to be able to do more, um, to be a, a bigger part of, um, you know, care for, be more involved in the care for the, the folks that I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And, um, that kind of led me down this road to looking at psychology and then, um, neuropsychology, given that, um, you know, our, our area of expertise is brain behavior relationships. So how the brain works. And then when that's disrupted by illness or injury, um, you know, what does that look like in terms of your cognition and your behavior and your emotions? And that just seemed to be a really good fit with my background. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I pursued. And with that, I mean, there there is probably, I'm sure, a, a protocol that, you know, an intake protocol and how that affects your role as as a neuropsychologist and, and treating patients with, with traumatic brain injuries. So, um, can you kind of walk through that with us as what maybe, I guess, a, a potential day would look like once once a patient has actually been accepted into the program? Sure. Um, could I take a step back and just talk about the program a little bit and how that works? I think that might give a little context to that. Absolutely. Um, sure. Okay. So the, the SHARE Military Initiative, um, it was actually started back in 2008. Um, it is a comprehensive rehabilitation program. So, you know, in addition to um, psychology services, we, we also offer um, physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, recreational therapy. Uh, we have uh, two physicians and case management. And so um, our program is a day program. So our standard treatment hours are Monday through Friday from 8 to 3. Um, and it's a very structured program. And so they um, our participants in the program, they see all the disciplines. Um, and so um, behavioral health services, here we have um, four behavioral health um, staff. We have uh, myself as the neuropsychologist. We have a rehabilitation psychologist. Uh, we have a um, licensed um, social worker, and then we have a substance use uh, psychologist. And so from a behavioral health standpoint, our role in this day program is we provide individual therapy um, at least once per week, sometimes twice per week, depending upon the need. Um, We also offer group therapies, so um, we do a couple of different groups. And then we also provide a lot of educational classes. We refer to them as key classes where we cover topics like uh, sleep, uh, stress management, uh, education on TBI, um, and substance use education. And so we kind of um, play, um, you know, a a big role in this um, program. Um, Typically, our clients tend to stay anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks. Um, it can be a little bit shorter depending upon need. We can also extend it depending upon need. Um, our clients come from all over the country, um, and our program is completely donor-funded. So there is no cost to our clients. Uh, we provide transportation if they need to uh, once they're admitted to the program. Uh, we provide housing if they're um, from out of state or even out of town in Georgia. We provide housing um, for them. Um, and so, um, that's kind of our role We're this is a multidisciplinary approach in the care that we take. Obviously these injuries do not occur in a silo. 
Um, so our clients come to us, you know, not only with their mild TBI or blast injury history with these comorbid, um, you know, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, they also have a myriad of symptoms, including chronic pain, they're not sleeping well, um, and we address those holistically. So we, we believe that you have to take this kind of holistic approach to their care. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the kind of role, and it really is a team approach. Well, it it is it sounds like an incredibly well-rounded and balanced program, which is, you know, very encouraging. And I, I hope from this podcast that, you know, our, our listeners will actually be encouraged by the programmatic offerings that you 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 have there. And, um, it sounds, it sounds wonderful. Mike. Mm-hmm. Thanks Dr. Brown for uh, talking about the program as far as what it encompasses and how long it lasts. Um, for yourself, what, uh, how many, how many clients a day do you typically see and what would a typical session look like for, for you and your client? Okay. So, the number of clients that I may see or any of our behavioral health providers may see um, varies on a given day. Um, but typically, um, you know, our census, uh, we usually have our max census is about 20 um, service members or veterans at a time. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of divide them for the rehab psychologist and the LTSW who sees them more regularly, um, they'll see them once or twice a week. Um, for me, it's a consultative basis. So if, for example, there's concern um, or a request for neuropsychological testing, for example, where I'm evaluating cognition and psychological functioning, um, that's an all-day process. So testing uh, usually starts in the morning. It can last anywhere from four, six to six hours or so. Uh, so that's a pretty lengthy day. Um, and, and the purpose of the neuropsychological testing, again, is to evaluate cognitive psychological functioning and to make tre- treatment recommendations moving forward. Um, all of our treatments are geared toward improving daily functioning. Um, so sometimes we may co-treat. So if, for example, um, in physical therapy, um, if someone maybe has a fear of falling or something like that, that can create some anxiety when they're doing some of the physical therapy. So we may go in and help co-treat to manage anxiety with other therapists or disciplines. Um, We do, um, one of the things that we incorporate into um, therapy is um, recreational therapy. And so we think that's key because this is not just about coming in and treating clients in a controlled environment. We need to make sure that translates to community. And so we use our recreational um, therapy department is really key in taking clients on outings. So it can be something as simple as going out to eat at a restaurant, to bowling alleys, to um, um, rock climbing, indoor rock climbing. Uh, we have um, offer a lot of things like um, the Georgia Aquarium. We partner with them. They offer um, some swimming with the, the whale sharks here at the Georgia Aquarium. Uh, things like that. So we want to make sure that this stuff translates so that when they do transition back home, they're more prepared uh, as they transition back into the community. So we can be involved, you know, from just basic individual therapy or group therapies to all of these other um, activities that happen in the program uh, where we can intervene to help reduce 
anxiety, post-traumatic stress symptoms, or depression symptoms from interfering. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I, I truly believe that, and I'm sure you see it potentially all the time, where people have a tendency to almost become, you know, paralyzed or, you know, kind of secluded in their own world because they're afraid of, of the outside and, and integrating with the community again, just simply from the standpoint of maybe it's, it's just, you know, um, there's a level of just hypervigilance and, and, um, just not feeling comfortable in, in those sorts of spaces. So I think giving opportunities to do that and providing them with, you know, people that are safe around them is, is pretty amazing. So that's fantastic. Um, Um, it is. And I think, um, you know, being able to have support as you're trying to expose yourself to these very, or, you know, various experiences out in the community, whether again, it's eating at a loud restaurant where there's a lot of crowds or sometimes things as simple as just going grocery shopping is a real challenge. And I think having that additional support when you know you have a therapy team around you, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, keeps people moving forward and it, it encourages that engagement. Yeah. One step at a time, right? I mean, just one, one kind of one, one day at a time, one step at a time in a lot of ways. Absolutely. What what specific treatments do you find the most helpful? Um, I know that you just ran through, you know, all of the 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 different offerings that you have, but do you have one specific thing that you think is is the most helpful, or do you find that it's kind of a well rounded, you know, doing all of these things is is a better approach? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'll just reiterate. I do think it's a team approach, but let me just say just from um, you know, my role and um, our other behavioral staff role, I think one of the primary interventions is first education, um, you know, really talking about the nature of their injury, their other kind of comorbid issues that we talked about. So there's things like poor sleep and chronic pain and how they're contributing to maybe some of their cognitive difficulties or daily functioning um, struggles. And so, uh, you know, you would be, there's a lot of misinformation. And I think over time, what I hear a lot is because of, you know, a high turnover rate and their their providers that they may have either out in the community or uh, within other systems is, you know, they go from, you know, one provider to another and one provider says one thing, another provider says something different. And then they get almost confused by what is all of this different information that I'm getting. So, I think really taking time to sit down to help them understand the nature of their injury uh, and providing a lot of education and correcting misinformation along the way, I think that's first and foremost. Um, you know, we, we do take an evidence-based um, therapeutic approach when we're addressing things like anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress. Um, you know, some of those therapies are cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure, mindfulness, those are, um, you know, evidence-based psychotherapy um, models that we use. Those are helpful. Um, and then I think also um, using um, things like uh, progressive muscle relaxation um, training and um, diaphragmatic breathing training, um, those are very physiologically based um, and work very well and helping to manage anxiety and stress, particularly when they're out in the community trying to expose these, uh, themselves to these various um, situations.
situation. So, uh, you know, those are some of the key things um, that we do that we find effective and helpful. Right. Okay. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Brown, with uh, with a team approach and all the different uh, types of therapies and the way that you you come at it for treatment, do you actually have some measurables that you and your team go by that show you that feedback to you that uh, your clients are getting better? And um, if you do, could you talk a little bit about what you use to to show that it's having a positive effect? And also, what does what does that do for for your client as far as their overall well being and confidence going forward? Okay, so so yeah, we we use a couple of um, outcome measures. So I'll talk about just some of the more broad ones. Um, so our primary uh, measure that we use is what's called the Mayo Portland Adaptability Inventory. Um, that's a measure that looks at various abilities like mobility use of hand, visual, uh, and cognitive abilities, those kind of things. So there's some ratings for that. Um, it also uh, looks at adjustment. So um, those are more psychologically based, like anxiety, depression, um, irritability, and anger management, uh, pain, headache, fatigue. And then um, it also um, measures participation. So, you know, how active are they in their community in initiating um leisure activity, social contact, self-care, those kind of things. And so we rate that both at the beginning and at the end. And so uh, that's one way that we measure that. Um, Our approach to care here is very patient-centered. So we use goal attainment scaling. And what that means is it's when a client comes into the program, um, you know, we sit down with them and we're like, okay, what is your goal for being here? What would you like to accomplish? And so we take that goal and we help them scale it in a way that's measurable. So, uh, you know, they meet the goal, they exceed the goal. And, you know, we use that along the way and that's rated both by them and the therapist at the end of their stay. We also try to um, include benchmarks so that we can, um, you know, subjectively evaluate how they're doing. So from outing to outing, do we see more participation? Do we see less anxiety? Do we see less hypervigilance? Um, for the longer stays, like the 12-week stays, oftentimes we'll encourage a break about midway where the client will go back home. They'll apply some of the tools they've learned, you know, look and see what's working, evaluate what's not working, and then come back. And when they report, we can tweak readjust, reinforce the things that they identified that were working. So we use several metrics along the way. And then for each, that's kind of the broader scope. And then with each individual practice or or discipline, um, you know, we have our own individual measures that we would use to see that we're, that so that we can demonstrate improvement. Thank you. You you kind of uh, touched on the fact that in the halfway point of their treatment, they're going to go back home and, and use some of the tools that they've learned and, and come back and talk about that. And uh, that kind of leads me into the, the role of the family because I would imagine that uh, many of your clients are married and have uh, children at home. And so what is, how important is the role of, of the spouse and the family in the overall health and, and improvement of your clients? And do you bring them in? What do you, do you include them in this treatment as well? And, uh, what kind of a role would they play in the, in, in the recovery and the future uh, recovery going forward for, the, for your client? 
Um, I'm glad you asked that question. So, you know, here at Shepherd Center, center-wide, we are a very family-oriented culture. So we view these um, injuries and struggles as systemic. So obviously our client is our primary focus, and that's what we're treating. But we also know that it affects family members, loved ones, friends, other relationships. So uh, we do take a very family-centric um, approach. Um, and yes, the family members are more than welcome. So the spouses, um, even the children, um, are welcome to participate in the program. They can come and be a part of the therapies. Oftentimes, there's a challenge with that. So if, if um, you know, it's, if they have young kids, they're from out of state, it's kind of hard for um, you know, the, the spouse and the kids to come. So oftentimes, um, you know, that limits that, but we do try to, uh, look at creative ways that we can continue to, uh, include the family, uh, because it is important because that's their support system. And so, you know, one of the things that we did, I know we were talking earlier, um, maybe before the recording started about some of the challenges with COVID, um, 19 in that current climate. And so that's really given us an opportunity to focus on how we can really improve family support and what resources we can offer. Uh, we have formed a uh, task force, if you will, where we've looked at ways of providing um, spouses more information, how we can improve the lines of communication, um, offering them access to resources online. So, for example, our key classes, um, you know, I think it's important for them to know what their clients uh, or what their spouse is doing here. Um, and then we try to work toward the end of their stay. We think it's really important to recognize that, you know, and what we emphasize with our clients is you've been making all of these changes and that's going to be an adjustment for your spouse and your kids. Um, once you get back home. So trying to help them with that transition back home and how do you communicate what you've learned, how things are going to look different. Um, and so that's very important for that transition. And we're constantly trying to monitor that and improve upon that because we do believe that that support system um, is what's going to, you know, help promote success moving forward from this program. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for explaining that. And, uh, here at the foundation, we also very much know, appreciate and include our family members because, um, you're right. They're, they're vital to the overall health and, and wellness of, of our warriors. And so we, we appreciate the families. Absolutely. Yes. And, and to go back to your point that you mentioned earlier, just education and, and communication seem to be, really the root of, of the success of probably any, any program that's going to offer a little bit of a change, but absolutely understanding what the injury is and what it looks like and what it feels like. Um, all of those things are super important because I think it, it probably blends into being able to communicate better with, with the service member that's, that's struggling. Um, it is. And, you know, communication is key. And I think that becomes a primary barrier um, in their relationship with their spouse, with their children, um, is, you know, the, you, you can't see um, a mild TBI. You can't see um, PTSD, right? And so it's, it's not like you have a broken arm with a cast that you can go see, I'm, I'm injured, or this is what I'm experiencing. 
and being able to convey that or to explain that in a way um, that allows family members and um, to be empathetic and supportive is a challenge. And so that is one of the things that we work on when we identify communication as a barrier is how can we um, improve that communication uh, because that support, again, is absolutely necessary. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, so my next question for you is, um, what are the most important takeaways you want warriors and their families to know um, post-graduation from Share Military Initiative and um, how to continue to function better with TBI and PTSD? Mm-hmm. Um so I think the most important thing to recognize is that this is an, a journey, right? So recovery from from these injuries and recovery from post-traumatic stress and those things, it's a journey. It doesn't end when treatment ends here. Um, our goal is to equip you and provide you with better tools to use um, and to know that it's going to continue to take some work, that you have to put some effort in it. These aren't passive um therapies, they're, they're active therapies. And that means that you have to really engage with them. You have to uh, use them. You have to apply them consistently. And so I think, you know, reframing this, that this isn't, this is not an endpoint when you finish here. This is a journey that's going to continue. Um, I think um, improving communication, because again, that is a primary barrier. And so that open communication between you and your support system, whether that's your spouse, your children, friends, extended relatives, um, that that's always key and important to be able to um, express what's going on, to be able to express your needs. Um, and, you know, that, that you you can continuously apply these and that it does get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that's the message that's lost, is that it, you know, I think sometimes folks find themselves in these places and they just think this is it. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you it does get better. It can get better, but it is a journey. Right. It's, a, it's you know, you're, you're giving people a journey and, and also hope. So I, I think that's super important as well. And um, I, I know that we actually um, have the Shepherd Center and Share Military Initiative program on our resource page for the EOD Warrior Foundation. And we absolutely appreciate all that everyone is doing there to um, help our military and their families. But in addition to that, I I really love the fact that you you look at the whole person as they come into a program as well, because as you said, there, there may be other comorbidities that are contributing to their actual, their actual health that, that need, you know, attention too. So, I mean, having a program that's eight to 12 weeks is pretty incredible because you kind of get to know the person a little bit better. (laughs) And it's not just, you know, um, you know, a a day in program and and you're done, you know? So I I really am encouraged by that. And it's something that we absolutely share with our community and, you know, um, just think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and I think, you know, what it also gives us taking this holistic approach, I think it also instills hope for the client. Um, I see clients that come in all the time and, you know, they're like, I can't do that for like rock climbing, for example. 
you know, I can't do that because of chronic pain issues or I can't do that because of this. And, you know, you kind of start steering them in that direction. And the next thing you know, by the end of the program, they're climbing to the top of the wall. And, you know, I think that hope and then helping them to realize that things they think they can't do, that they actually can do. Um, and, you know, that is that is kind of our um, mantra here at Shepherd Center is turning those I can'ts into I can's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to be able to to see that, but but we're able to do that because of this holistic approach that we take. Yeah, I agree, Dr. Brown. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, you know, the, the words that you talked about with uh, going forward and, and that, you know, this is a journey and that there is hope and things will get better. Uh, I absolutely believe that myself. Uh, I was reminded of that when I first started out in working with wounded, ill, and injured, and I attended a, uh, uh, a conference, and this conference had a, um, a doctor who had been working with post-traumatic stress soldiers, mostly out of Oklahoma, for years. And uh, there was a woman in the back of the class that raised her hand, and she said, Dr. Brown, those with PTS, do, you know, do, they, do they ever fully recover from it? And she said, I don't think so. She says, but what I will say is that it does get better, and they learn, they learn to, to go on and have full and productive lives. And I always kept that with me, and I hold on to that, and I believe that, and, uh, and I, I appreciate that, that you kind of talked about that and touched on that because uh, that's, what, that's what we're here for is to, is to try to encourage and, and constantly promote great programs and uh, let them know that it will get better. And I think, you know, oftentimes what I will tell clients, because, you know, I think sometimes maybe there's an expectation that this is just going to go away, that it's going to get better. Um, and so what, I, what in, you know, that it's just going to go away. And what I tell people, it's not about not ever feeling anxious again. It's not about not ever having a day where you feel down or depressed. It's not about not having pain sometimes because we're human. We're going to experience those things. The real metric of success is how you manage those things. And so our goal is to make sure that you have all the tools that we can possibly offer to help you manage those situations so that you can live a full, satisfying, happy, healthy life. Um, And I think that's the ultimate goal. So, uh, Dr. Brown, one of the things that uh, we found kind of interesting in our experiences in our experiences with uh, working with other organizations that say someone goes to for assistance with substance abuse and PTSD in, in conjunction is that some of these programs, uh, they will work with other organizations locally or shared organizations to provide other services that the individual may have need of. So. Um, my question is, so from, from SHARES, from the SHARE Initiative program, when someone uh, has completed the program, do you, do you follow up with the, with the client? Do you continue to follow up with them to make sure they're doing okay? And I think we kind of talked about that the last, last week, but if you do, for how long do you normally stay in touch with the individual? Okay, that's a great question. So yes, we have what's called, um, uh, we provide transitional support services. So for all of our veterans that complete the program, uh, we have two transitional support specialists that uh, we follow the veteran for a year. Um, and this, what the transitional support specialists do uh, is they maintain uh, routine contact either by phone 
um, or, you know, under normal circumstances outside of the COVID climate, they do uh, in-person visits. Um, and that is to, you know, for a couple of things. So one is to reinforce the use of the strategies and the tools that they've learned um, from the program to make sure that they're still um, being effective. Um, you know, we also take that opportunity because once once they leave from here, um, you know, they we, we try to get a good sense of, you know, what are their needs in terms of continuing care, whether it's medical, behavioral health services, those types of things. And for the large portion of our um, veterans, it's the VA system. And, um, you know, so, you know, sometimes that can be a complex system to navigate. And so, you know, our transitional support specialists can help with navigating that system, getting them re-engaged with the VA, getting them connected to the services they need through the VA. Um, and again, we, we provide that support for a year. That is, that is great. So in, uh, so talking about additional services as well, say for instance, somebody went through your program and, and after you had worked with them for a while with your team, uh, it, it come up that this person could use the support of, say, a service dog. Would you work with that individual to get aligned with a service dog organization that, that can help them uh, while they're there at SHARE, or would that be something that would be sort of post-SHARE? Um, yeah, we would certainly, you know, if they called, we would certainly be able to help support them in the resources and providing them with resources to get connected. Um, I don't know how much that particular question, like for a service dog, comes up post-treatment, but it does sometimes come up here at SHARE uh, while they're actively participating. But any resources that, that we have available um, that we can connect them to, um, we will. That's great. And uh, also, if an individual and, goes... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And I was just going to follow that up, too, with, you know, I think what a, a great thing with this transitional support program, too, is, you know, if, if there's things that are identified that maybe need tweaking or if there's things that um, it looks like they could use additional support because, you know, life happens and things change over time, um, then, you know, if, if the need is there, um, the clinical need is there, then, you know, sometimes they may come back to the SHARE program for a touch-up, if you will. That is great. You, you actually kind of segued into my, my last question, which was if somebody had gone through the program and had gone through the follow-up and say they were struggling later, would, would there be the possibility of them coming back to you? Yes, That's absolutely. Um, we kind of have this um, kind of slogan, once you're a part of the SHARE family, you're always a part of the SHARE family. Um, and so um, that, that does happen. How does a military member or veteran actually apply for the SHARE Military Initiative Program? Mm-hmm. So they can go to um, shepherd.org mm-hmm. and um, click on the link for the SHARE Military Initiative. And the admissions process is outlined there uh, where they would just submit a um, intake form, fill out an intake form, they would submit that. Our um, access case manager would uh, reach out to them and then um, direct them on what else they would need to submit for that. Okay, perfect. So pretty simple process. Mm -hmm. Great. And then are you taking, is is SHARE Military Initiative taking clients at this time during COVID? 
So what we are currently doing is um, we, we're not taking patients um, currently or for um, in-person, but we just this week launched our virtual day program. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to adapt to, um, you know, this current climate of COVID uh, so that we can continue to provide services for our veterans. Um, and right now, um, again, we just started it this week. And so right now we're limiting um, our demographic to veterans in Georgia. Um, and that's because of a couple of reasons, or one primary reason is because all of our disciplines are involved in their care. So OT, PT, speech, um, behavioral health, and physicians, uh, we have to be very mindful of um, the guidelines for practicing across state lines. And, um, you know, that really limits us. So right now, um, we have to stick with clients that are in Georgia, that are based in Georgia. Understood. Well, you know, I think everybody is learning the new new way forward as far as virtual programming is concerned and how to how to really provide the best services based on the circumstances that we're we're in right now. So that's totally understandable. And, you know, hopefully soon things will change. <laughs> we can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, we're very dedicated. This isn't, you know, that we just want to offer virtual services to offer something. We want it to be um, meaningful, beneficial services that we're offering. And, you know, we've, um, you know, I think we've done really well at putting together a program. Um, we're just, you know, limited by those state line practices right now. Sure. Well, that's fantastic. So Dr. Brown, uh, based on our conversations that we had from last week and, and this morning, is there anything that you would like to add to our audience that maybe we didn't ask you or just something you thought was important? Um, you know, I, I think um, the, one, the one thing that I want to um, emphasize is um, I think sometimes there's a lot of frustration when there's gaps in services or difficulty getting connected with services. But, you know, I think it's important for for veterans to recognize uh, not only SHARE, but other organizations as well, that, that there is help out there um, and that, you know, that there is, there is hope and things will get better. And, um, you know, I think just reassuring, um, you know, our veteran population um, and our active duty military service um, members that um, there is help available. I agree with you hundred percent on that. And uh, always have to, be mindful that sometimes there are gaps and there are frustrations, but the goal is always to keep moving forward and uh, you know, being, being assured that that support is out there and, and keep working it until we can get our veterans the care that they need. Uh, Sherry, you have, have anything? Before I go, we're just going to ask, I'm going to ask a rapid fire question, which is just for fun. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your favorite dessert? Chocolate cake. What's your favorite movie? Uh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, I would say um, the Star Wars franchise, but if I had to pick a particular one, it would be The Empire Strikes Back. Okay, cool. Very Great cool. movie. Probably my favorite one as well. Yeah, it's, it is. It's <laughs> a timeless one for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. Well, we always like to end on a happy note. Some of these subjects are kind of heavy and, and a lot of information to share. So that was just our little, you know, spreading a little joy before we say so long. Absolutely. 
Well, we certainly appreciate your time and expertise today, Dr. Brown. I, I, we are very excited to, you know, get this podcast out into the world and allow people to check out the Shepherd Center and the Share Military Initiative just so they can also see that there's hope and that there are options available to them to receive, you know, the help that they need. So we we sincerely appreciate your time and, you know, thank you. Thanks, Dr. Brown. Yes, you're very welcome. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Same, y'all do wonderful work. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.